because we're human, and part of that is because our world is designed to eliminate the need for patience. Like, I want you to think back, for those of you who are old enough, 25, 30 years ago, how amazing the internet was because of all the access to information that you could get. Like, you no longer had to use the 20-year-old encyclopedia uh, that was way outdated, right? You could get all this information at your fingertips, right? But do you remember how long it took to get on the internet, <laughs> right? First of all, you had to wait until AOL mailed you a CD. You remember those? So you could get internet free for 30 days? Uh, and then it took like four hours to actually access the internet. Nowadays, if a web page isn't loaded in a fraction of a second, we're like, ah, oh, forget it, I'm moving on, right? I'm gonna, so we have plenty of people who weren't even alive back then. I'm curious if some of you ever even heard the sound of a dial-up modem. Are you familiar with that crazy sound? Um, yeah, so we just, our world is not designed for us to even need patience. Any question we could possibly have, uh, the answer is at our fingertips, right? Not only do we have a phone in our pocket that can give us all that information, I don't know about you, but like, we have one of those smart devices that sit on our kitchen counter. So I don't even have to pull out my phone. I just yell out loud, hey Google, and it will answer me with the information. I don't even have to type anything anymore. I just say it out loud. And a random device will listen to me and answer my question. Um, our world isn't designed for patience, but James is going to have a word for us this morning that I think many of us probably need to hear. So we're going to be in James chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 7. I'm going to read through verse 12. So we're just going to read the whole passage for this morning together, and then we'll go back and we'll walk through it like we normally do step by step. So let me just start in James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it? until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So as we usually do, we're going to go back to the beginning and just take it step by step. And James, obviously, his big overarching point for us this morning is patience. Be patient. And if only it were that simple, right? Be patient. So what James is going to do is James is going to give us three examples to help us understand both what patience is and how it works itself out in our lives in different circumstances. 
So we're just going to take a look at some of those examples that he gives to us. And he starts with the farmer. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Now here's what's interesting about James starting with this example of a farmer. Because for a farmer, while patience is a must, what patience does not equal for James is laziness. I mean, if you think about it, there aren't many people in our society who work harder and are also probably less appreciated than farmers. They're up before the sun comes up. They work until the sun goes down. It doesn't matter what the holiday is. doesn't matter who's playing on TV. doesn't matter what the weather looks like. They have a job to do. And they're going to do everything in their power, everything that they can to ensure success of their crops or for ranchers and their, their herds. Sometimes when we think about patience, in our minds, we think about just idly sitting and waiting for something to happen. But James connecting patience to a farmer reminds us Patience doesn't equal laziness. For a farmer, they do everything that's within their power, and then they display patience over the things they can't control. A farmer doesn't control the rain. When it happens, or how much of it, or how little of it, they don't control the patterns of weather. There's even somewhat limited control over pests. Farmers do everything they can for what's within their power and abilities. And then they have to be patient for the things they can't control. So by teaching us to be patient, by commanding us to be patient, James is not encouraging us to be lazy, to just sit on our hands, to just hope for the best and just sit around. What he wants us to do is to, to do what's within our control, but recognizing that there are things that are not in our control. And so with patience, we're called to be patient in the things that we can't control. The next thing that James is going to do, he's going to give us another example of patience. And this time he's going to turn his attention to the prophets of the Old Testament. Here, James, in verse 10, says, An example of suffering and patience, brothers. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So another way, another example for us to learn really what patience is and how it should work its way out in our lives is James is going to reflect back on the Old Testament prophets. So let me just give you some examples, or let me just give you one example of a prophet from the Old Testament and some of the things that they had to endure as a part of this patience. So we're going to look at Jeremiah. I'm just going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. And I'm going to start in verse 4. Get a little bit of the background of Jeremiah's life. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to me. So this is Jeremiah writing, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. 
I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Now, what an incredible start to a career. To have God himself show up and say, before anyone knew you, I knew you. Before you were informed in your mother's womb, I set you apart for a special task. How many of us would have loved that come end of high school, college years, when we're like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Wouldn't it have been great if God had just said, ah, I got it. I picked this one out for you long before you were born. That would make things easy, right? Now, Jeremiah is naturally a little worried about it. I'm so young, Lord. I'm so young, and I don't know how to speak. And God says, mm -mm -mm -mm. no, 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 you don't worry about that. That's my job to worry about. I'll give you the words to say. I'm going to be with you. Man, wouldn't this be incredible? Jeremiah didn't have to have patience on what his future career was going to be, did he? And while he may have known what he was called to, nothing about Jeremiah's life was easy. And it required a great deal of patience. Let's look at chapter 7. So now we're getting sort of the conclusion of his calling. So, God says to Jeremiah, you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. So Jeremiah has this incredible calling. God shows up and says, I have set you aside for this one task and purpose in life, Jeremiah. By the way, it will be unsuccessful your whole life. I've set you aside for the purpose of sharing my truth and my words and my wisdom with my people. And by the way, they won't listen to you. They will reject you. you will become a mockery to them. Just imagine, Jeremiah, if they wouldn't listen to me, they definitely aren't going to listen to you. Jeremiah spent his life warning the people of what was to come for the nation, saying, listen, God promised hundreds of years ago that if we did not follow him, if we did not remain faithful to him, that there would be consequences and guys, we're not being faithful. The consequences are coming. And the people wouldn't listen. And Jeremiah had a front row seat to watch his own people be destroyed and his nation and his capital and even the temple that he worshipped in be destroyed in front of his eyes. After the book of Jeremiah, which is about his life and calling and ministry and the words that he shared, he wrote another book, had a hand in writing another book called Lamentations, which was 
essentially him recording his own heartbreak over watching his people suffer for their lack of obedience and willingness to follow God. It's men like this that James says, we look to them to find an example of patience. And in verse 10 of James chapter 5, remember he said, as an example of suffering and patience. So not only are we called to be patient in the things that we don't control, we are also called to be patient in the face of suffering. It was Jeremiah's job to produce results? Was it Jeremiah's job to make other people repent? To turn back to God, to listen and to follow God? Or was Jeremiah's job to be faithful to what God had called him to do, regardless of how others responded to it? Sometimes our suffering is unjust, and as a result of our faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. Because sometimes God doesn't call us to tasks that are guaranteed success. Our job is to not produce results. Our job is to be faithful to what he's called us to do. And so James uses a farmer as an example. He uses the prophets of the Old Testament as an example. And he uses a third example, Job. Now, some of you are familiar with Job's story. Here, James says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Some of you are intimately familiar with Job's story, and some of you may not be. I don't want to presume that anyone knows his story and knows the details, but a very, very short, quick summary of Job's life that we find in the Old Testament. Job is an incredibly successful man who has everything anyone would want in life. He has a great family. He has a great relationship with the Lord. He walks closely with the Lord every day. He has great wealth and possessions. His life is a picture of what all of us think is the most important. I mean, he had everything, every piece of it. One day, uh, Satan comes up to God. Begins throwing some accusations around. God says, have you thought about my servant Job? Have you not seen his faithfulness? Satan says, well, of course he's faithful, God. You've given him everything he could ever want. Of course he praises you. But I bet if I took away some of what he has, he wouldn't praise you anymore. So God said, okay, we'll see. And so over the next course of few hours, few days, Job loses nearly everything he has. All of his children are killed in a tragic accident. And all of his wealth, which back then would have been in his herds and in his livestock, were destroyed. Everything that he had that others envied 
was taken from him. All he was left with was his wife and his friends, which we're going to see here in a minute. It wasn't exactly the best for Job. So what we see is after Job loses everything, he falls on his knees in worship. So Satan comes back to God. God says, look, he's still singing praises. Job's faithfulness wasn't tied to his wealth, to the things that he had. Satan says, well, that's of course, because he's still healthy. Everyone knows if you take away a man's health, take away all of his joy and his happiness. God says, okay, go ahead. Just don't kill him. And so Satan, in his own form of attack, destroys all of Job's health. Physically, his life has become miserable. And in that moment, even his own wife turns on him. At one point, she looks at him, just seeing the misery that he's enduring, and says, why don't you just curse God and die? And so not only now has he lost his health, he's lost the support of his wife. And then his friends step in and start giving him terrible advice as he's trying to understand what's taking place in his life. And in all this, Job didn't sin. Now why, why would James want to use this story as an example of patience? Why does this fit into the top three for James as people we can look to or things that we can look to to provide an example of the kind of patience God wants to build in our lives? That's because James knows that his readers know the end of Job's story. While Job is still in the midst of misery, while nothing about his life has gotten any better, towards the end of the story, Job says this as he's reflecting and thinking and meditating and praying and talking with the Lord. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. What Job was confessing in this moment was that he had heard about God's goodness all his life. But it wasn't until everything in his life had been stripped away from him and the only thing he had left was God himself that he came to fully know just how good God is. It's easy to say God is good when everything in your life is good. But when everything in your life has fallen apart, do you still know the goodness of God? If you know the story of Job, it's not how it ends. That eventually God restores his health, restores his wealth, blesses him with more children. But Job didn't know that's how the story was going to end. For all he knew, misery was all he was going to have left for the rest of his life. But he could look at God and say, I had heard of you. 
In here, I knew you. But it's only when everything else was stripped away and all I had was you, that now I really know. Now I really know how good you are when you're all I have left. When you're all I have left, I realize I have all I need. And so we're called to be patient in the things that we can't control. We're called to be patient in the face of suffering. And then here's what Job ultimately teaches us. That we're called to be patient when we don't see yet what God is at work doing. Here's how James phrased it. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And he says this, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. In everything that was happening to Job, God had a plan. There was a purpose behind what he endured. Job didn't know what that purpose was yet. Yet he remained steadfast. Yet he displayed patience even when he couldn't see what God was at work doing behind the scenes. So we're called to be patient in the things we can't control. We're called to be patient in the face of suffering. We're called to be patient when we don't yet see what God is at work doing behind the scenes. When we don't fully understand the purpose of what's going on in our lives. We're patient. So what James is also going to do in addition to teaching us patience. He's going to give us some litmus tests to test the integrity in our own lives. Here's the first one in James 5, 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Here's the litmus test to that integrity on the inside, to know whether or not you're really being patient or not. When James says, do not grumble. Do not grumble stands at the center of what it looks like to have patience in suffering, to have patience in the things that we can't control, and to have patience when we don't know what God is at work doing. When we suffer, or when things outside of our control seem like they're spinning out of control, or when we're not sure of what God is trying to do in or around us, when we're enduring suffering, does everyone in the world know about it because we can't stop talking about it? and posting about how terrible our life is. That's probably what grumbling looks like in the 21st century. Fishing for support or compliments online. Just laying out all of our junk, trying to make everyone else feel sorry and pity for us. Are we always looking to one-up someone else's sob story? Are we always looking for an opening in a conversation so we can complain about something? Because grumbling is sort of that litmus test of whether or not we're being patient. And then James is going to give us another litmus test about our own integrity here at the end in verse 12. He concludes this section by saying this, Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. 
And so by invoking or swearing by anything beyond just our words really deflects the trustworthiness away from us and onto something else. Life of integrity is sufficient proof that our yeses and nos mean what they say. And so our words should be supported, as James would say in other parts of his letter, by our actions, not just by more words. Because when we swear by something else, we're really putting the weight of, of the accountability of what we say on someone or something else. And James here is saying, no, 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 no. Don't put it on God, your promise that you probably can't keep. Through your own integrity, you should be able to support what it is that you say. So just let your yeses be yeses and your no be no. Don't invoke God or something else to give credit to your words. Hopefully your actions give your words credit. So as we close this section, I just want to reflect back on something that we read but we didn't really focus on. And if we go back to the beginning of our section, I'll start in verse 7. James says, be patient, therefore, brothers. And this is the part we didn't really focus on. Until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. There's a purpose in our patience. It's not just for patience sake. It's because we are waiting on God to fulfill a promise that he made to us. Our patience is rooted in God's faithfulness to do what he says he will do. That's what makes being patient in any situation possible. When things are out of our control, we can be patient because we know God is always in control. When we're enduring suffering, we can be patient because we know that one day God is coming to put an end to suffering. We can be patient when we don't really understand what God's doing. When we know he's working behind the scenes, but we don't know what that is. When we don't understand the purpose of God in the moment, we can be patient because we know he has an ultimate purpose. That he has a purpose. That he has an end that he's working towards. That's what allows us to be patient in all things, in all times, in all circumstances. Because our God has a plan. Because our God is going to fulfill his promise because he's faithful. With that, let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. There are times that life may feel out of control. There are times when we're enduring suffering. There are times when we don't really fully know or understand what you're trying to do. But in those moments, we trust you. And it's your faithfulness that allows us to be patient. Because we know you're in control.
because we know that you're coming to put an end to suffering, because we know that you have a purpose and you're working towards it. So Lord, help us. Help us to be patient and steadfast when we don't have control and we don't have the answers. Help us to trust in you. I want you to keep your eyes closed for a minute. We're going to enter into a time of response. A time when we respond to who God is and the ways in which he's moving and speaking to our hearts and our lives right now. And there's a number of ways that you can respond. Maybe right now you need some time for just reflection and prayer. And we would invite you, if you'd like, to stay in your seats and to pray. Just talking about some of these difficulties may have triggered some some stress or some fear or some worry or some anxiety in you. As we talked about life being out of control, as we talked about suffering, as we talked about not understanding what God is doing. And maybe what you now need is not just a moment to pray by yourself, but for someone to pray for you. And if there's someone sitting close to you that you trust and know, we'd love for you to just ask them, hey, would you pray for me right now? If you don't know who to ask, myself and some others will be at the back standing. We would love to pray for you. You may want to stand and to sing in this moment, to celebrate that God is coming back to finish what he started, to celebrate the faithfulness of our God. And then finally at the back is our communion table. You know, James said to us that we shouldn't swear by heaven or by earth that we should really just allow our yeses to be yes and our noes to be no. And as James would put it in another language in his letter, our actions should back up our words. Well, God's words are backed up by his actions. We know that he's faithful to keep his promises and we know that he's coming to finish what he started because of what he did on the cross. Because he revealed that how much he loves us, that he'd be willing to die for us. And when we take the bread and the cup, we remember the body and the blood of Jesus that was given for us. And so as you respond in worship, we'd invite you to the table to take the bread and the cup, to be reminded of God's faithfulness, his love, what he did for us. And it's because of what he did for us that we trust him and we know that he's coming back. Lord, thank you for this time that we have had to Think and reflect on some hard truths that James wanted to share. Would you be honored by the ways in which we respond to you in this moment as we celebrate your faithfulness, as we are comforted by your love, and as we turn our attention and look forward to the hope of your return. Lord, we love you and praise in your name. Amen.